Matthew chapter 16, picking up in verse 18. This is what the Word of God has to say. And I tell you, uh, you are, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this morning, I I want to begin a series of sermons looking at considering the, the church defined. So what is the church? How do we function? What are we to do? And all those types of questions. And this morning we begin with the idea or the, the, the thought of what is the church's foundation? What are we built on? What do we stand on? What grounds us? What gives us meaning? This passage comes after a very significant moment in the life of Peter. And for, the, for that matter, all of the disciples. Jesus had been asking them, who do you say I am? And um, Peter, almost, when I read it, almost like a blurt out says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus responds to that with these words, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a moment. It's a moment in Peter's life. It's a moment in the disciples' life. It's it's an important moment. Now, these verses have been interpreted some some various different ways. And um, if you have a Catholic background or you have Catholic friends and family, then you know that this verse has a, a very distinct understanding in the, in the Catholic tradition. So the, the Catholic uh, interpretation of this verse um, understands when Jesus says this rock, they say, oh, he's talking about Peter. And therefore, on Peter is the church founded. And, and, uh, and, and, and then all of those who are successors of Peter the Pope and the Pope's in, in following. Now, I don't think that's what the Scriptures here are saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what he's saying here is that on this confession, Peter, on who you have declared uh, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, that is the foundation on which the church is and will be established and founded. And that is the majority view of the Protest, all Protestants throughout history, and that's certainly the, the understanding that I will take this morning as we walk through this passage. Now, one other helpful word of understanding before we go any further. When the, when the phrase, the church, is used, sometimes it is used in the sense of all those who are followers of Jesus. So, um, the church universal. So, all those in the world who have followed Jesus, believing Jesus Christians, the church. And in, 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 in a real sense, when Jesus speaks about the church in this passage, he's speaking about in, in, in that sense. Now, the overwhelming majority of the time the New Testament uses the phrase or, or refers to the church, it is a reference to the local congregation, to, to individuals gathered together around the, the, the context of the gospel, the church in the sense of a local identifiable congregation. 
And I, we're going we're gonna to think about the church in both of those ways this morning. Certainly Jesus here is speaking about the church universal, but the church is expressed and most tangibly known in the context of local congregations experiencing the gospel amongst one another. One of the dangers, I think, if we are too loose with the church being the church universal is we get disconnected from, we, we, we lose touch with the, the, the context that it, and, and, and the drive that it has toward the local congregation. So I'm going to speak this morning, even as Jesus is speaking about the church being founded on Christ and, and, and what that means, we're going to really understand where I'm pressing this morning is how do we understand that as affecting this church, the local church, the believer's gathering together who know each other's name and have gathered around the name of Jesus. Here are the three ways I want to divide our time this morning out of this passage. Number one, most foundational, most, most basic understanding here is that the church is founded on Jesus. Now, I don't think that is too simple of a word to say. In fact, I think it needs to be said. I think it needs to be said over and over again. I think we need to come back to it over and over again that the church is founded. We have our founding and our, our foundation, our grounding on Jesus and Jesus alone. Secondly, the church is sustained by Jesus. So the church prospers, the church continues, the, the church is sustained, preserved throughout all generations, not on the ingenuity or inventiveness of man. It is sustained by the power and the will of Jesus. And then lastly, the church is the testimony of the gospel in the world. You and I are charged, gifted with, tasked with being the expression of the gospel in the context of this world. And I hope I'll explain to you very clearly uh, what that means and how this passage teaches on that. But let's begin with the church is the foundation, that the church is founded on Jesus. Begin with me, look with me again in the very beginning part of verse uh, 18, where Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. I, I think there's, there's some, the, 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 the intention that I want to give here is on this rock, that, it, that the, the church is founded on Jesus. Now, I think what Jesus is saying when he refers to this rock is not Peter. It's not Peter the man. It is Peter's confession. And what did Peter confess? Well, just before this, he had declared, Jesus, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah that had been promised in the Old Testament. You are the one who has come to save sinful people from their sins. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. The church is founded on Jesus. Jesus had been asking the disciples, who do you say I am? And certainly there were lots of opinions. He began by asking, who do other people say I am? And of course, some had said Jesus was a great teacher. Some had said that he might even be a prophet. Some had said that, that he might even be Elijah. There's all sorts of things that people were, were, were wondering or, or had their opinions on who Jesus is. But when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, he gets it right. In fact, Jesus responds by affirming Peter's answer and, in, and indicating that Peter didn't come to this, um, this, uh, this understanding on his own. He said, no, the Father has revealed this to you. Connected to the declaration of verse 17, Jesus adds in verse 18 that on this rock I will build 
my church. And the point that he is making is that the church is founded on Jesus and on the gospel of Jesus. Now, at first blush, this might seem like such an obvious and simple truth that it doesn't need to be said. I mean, when I said that the church is founded on Jesus, I didn't hear any gasp that you thought, I've never heard that before. This is such radical new information. I didn't know this to be true. And so at, sir, at first blush, you might say, this doesn't really need to be said. This is simple. This is, this is elementary. We, we all get that Jesus is the foundation of the church. It may be simple, but I don't think it can be ignored. You see, the church has its power and its purpose only when it is founded on Jesus. And if the church attempts to move beyond or grow past the foundation of Jesus and the gospel of salvation, I believe it ceases to be a church. Now, follow with me here. Presently, there are some buildings in this land that have steeples, beautiful steeples on top. And they have signs in the yard declaring that there is a church there. But those buildings and those groups that gather there have abandoned the foundation of Jesus. And I believe any organization that is not founded on Jesus is not a church. It might be a community group. It might be a, an activity group. It might be a social help group. But it's not a church. No steeple makes a church. No sign makes a church. Only being founded on Jesus and the gospel of Jesus makes a church. Without the foundation, we are merely a social club. We're merely a community group. When Jesus is our foundation, we are his church, and we are his witnesses to the world. Jesus is the foundation. And we are not only founded by Jesus, but we are gathered by Jesus. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build. Now, that's not a declaration of what you and I will do. It's a declaration of what Jesus will do. Jesus is the one who builds his church. Peter and the other disciples would give their lives proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to the world. But it would be Jesus who would build his church. We may preach, but Jesus gathers. We may invite, but Jesus calls. There, are, there is an important balance here, I think, to understand this truth. In other words, this takes nothing away from the command of every believer to be a, a witness for the gospel. Dear friends, if you love Jesus, you know Jesus, you've been saved by Jesus, there should be, there must be, there ought to be a motivation within each of you to declare that truth to anybody and everybody you can. When you meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus, there will be something that wells up in you and that just can't help but tell them about the one who saved you from sin and death and hell. This takes nothing away from that motivation, but what I do think it is declaring is that we must be clear that the authority and the power to build the church rest only on Jesus. You and I must be obedient to go and tell. Then we must trust the Lord to use our obedience to gather those that he has called unto himself. There will be seasons in the life of the church when many come to faith, saving faith. And there will be seasons in the life of the church when few come. But I believe that all who come, come not because of our, our effort 
or our effectiveness all come because Jesus himself has called them. He is building his church. Founded by Jesus, gathered by Jesus, and it is defined by Jesus. He says, I will build my church. Now, innocently, we often refer to different churches by references to things other than Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't think this is sin. I think this is just the way we refer to things. So, we'll talk about, well, this is my church. We'll talk, if it's an, there, we want to refer to a, a church that has a very well-known or popular preacher, we'll say, well, that's so-and-so's church. That's Pastor So-and-so's church. Or we might say that's my parents' church or my aunt's church or my kids' church. Jesus refers to the church as my church. The point we should take from this is that the true church is defined by Jesus filled with those who have followed Jesus, filled with those faithfully holding to the teachings of Jesus, filled with those obediently living out the commands of Jesus, filled with those believing the promises of Jesus. The church is not defined by the opinions of man. It is not defined by the desires of the members. It is not defined by the views of the community. The identity of the church begins and it ends with Jesus. It is who he says it is. The doctrine of the church begins and it ends with Jesus. The mission of the church begins and it ends with Jesus. The work of the church begins and it ends with Jesus. The church is singularly, singularly defined by Jesus. We are who he says we are. We do what he says we are to do. We believe what he taught us to believe. The church is founded by Jesus. It is gathered by Jesus, and it is defined by Jesus. The foundation of the church is Jesus. Now, secondly, the church is sustained by Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 18. First part, he says, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's something we need to understand as we consider this verse, and that is that first, there's a recognition of the present hostilities. I remember as a young man, uh, sensing God's call in the ministry, I was in high school when the Lord began to deal with me about uh, uh, giving my life to full-time ministry. And um, I had some thoughts about what serving in the church would be like. Now, as a high school student, most of my interactions with church events were like summer camps and those sort of things. And I thought, what a wonderful way to spend a life. I mean, no doubt there'd be hard things, but what a wonderful... I mean, I'm going to spend all of my days preaching the gospel of Jesus and hanging out with God's people. How bad can that be? Now, you laugh because you know that it can be pretty bad. In fact, it wouldn't take very long that I would discover that pastoring a church is, is, can be some really unpleasant moments. And you know why? Because the work of a pastor is spiritual work. And you're dealing with spiritually broken people. And when spiritually broken people look for somebody to shoot at and complain to and destroy, they're going to the guy that's standing out front. Now, to be honest, 
as a young pastor, I struggle with that simply because I took so much of that as a personal attack. But the longer I do ministry doesn't mean that they're any easier on attacks, but I understand better what's happening. Broken people break things. Spiritually lost people don't, have a, don't like spirit, those that are speaking truth. People who are living in darkness don't like the light. And if you dare to proclaim the truth to those who are walking in darkness, you better be ready to have things thrown at you. The point is that we need to be aware of, recognize the present hostilities in which we live. In this world, we are at war with the forces of darkness. Friends, Satan hates the faithful church. He hates the faithful church. Satan hates obedient Christians. I wish it could be said and be completely true that if you choose to obey the Lord in every area of your life, everything around you is going to rise up and go, aren't you great? We're so proud of you. But the truth is, dear friends, if you right now have issues of sin and you walk out of this building today and you say those things are ending today and I'm going to walk obediently uh, to the Lord for the rest of my days, you're going to have friends, you're going to have family, you're going to have opposition, all kinds of places that you didn't expect. Because Satan hates obedient Christians. Satan opposes faithful preaching of the gospel. Satan hates it when a sinner is forgiven of sin and saved from hell. And I think, friends, it was wise for us to understand that the church must not ignore the present hostilities. The church must keep a vigilant watch against the attacks of the evil one, understanding that the church exists in the midst of hostile territory. Now, that could be, might be a depressing word except for this. Even though we are recognizing the present hostilities, we celebrate the accomplished victory. So Jesus says, and the gates of hell shall not, shall not. In other words, this is not up for a debate. This is not an opinion. This is a declaration of fact. It shall not prevail against it. Dear friends, we exist in the midst of hostility, a hostile territory, but we do so with, as the hope, with the hope of victors. Jesus declares that the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail against the church. This is a hopeful truth of victory. Jesus was looking forward to the cross when the power of sin and death would be once and for all defeated. Jesus was looking forward to the cross when he knew that all the forces of Satan would be brought to bear but would die in a defeat at the cross. Jesus was looking forward to his victory and declaring the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that I'm going to build. No matter how great the hostilities against the church may be, the victory was won at the cross. No matter how aggressive the attacks of the world against the church may be, they will not prevail against the church. Dear friends, this is a true word of encouragement to the church to endure. You know, frankly, you and I, where we live and when we live, have enjoyed a very easy time of it. It was cold this morning, but that was about the only thing that hindered some from coming to church. There were no guns, there were no government, there were no 
hostilities to keep folks from coming to the house of the Lord today. We live in easy days. But that's not true around the rest of the globe, and it may not be true for us forever. But dear friends, no matter how great the attacks may be, take heart. The victory is already won. Recognize the present hostilities. Celebrate the accomplished victory. And and we have a declaration of assured establishment. Now listen carefully what I mean by this. The promise to prevail is an encouragement of the assured establishment of the church. We, we tend to think of that, that the institutions and the organizations of our day will remain forever. So just drive around Waycross, and, and, and the, the assumption that we make is that all the institutions that exist today will exist tomorrow and forever. But just a basic cursory view of history, and you don't have to even go that far, will reveal how what seems unshakable today may be gone tomorrow. Read a little history and see how quickly governments rise and fall. Kings and empires rise and fall. Companies, listen, you can tell, you can reveal your age by just talking about some of the stores that you shopped at that were like the big stores of your day that no longer exist today. I remember when Walmart came to town. Who can imagine a town now without Walmart? I remember when you bought all your tools at Sears. You know, the reality of it is there's some stores and there's some big companies today that will not exist in years to come. Governments, kings and empires, companies, organization. In one sense, I cannot promise you that a particular local church will remain. It is possible that a local congregation may cease to exist. It's possible that the community where the local congregation, congregation exists may even cease to exist. There may be a day when there is no more Waycross, Georgia. Part of the promise implicit in Jesus' assurance that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church is that the church will remain forever. Now, there may be seasons when the church seems to grow, and there may be seasons when the church seems to be uh, in decline or restricted or even pressed into the secrecy of house churches and those sorts of things. But here's the good word, friends. By the power and promise of God, the church will remain and its gospel witness will continue until Jesus returns. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm telling you, friends, right now, that the wishes and desire of the evil one has, is, is singularly focused on silencing the gospel witness, destroying the church. And Jesus says, for all the hostilities and all the efforts and all the rising and falling of all the things of this world, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is a declaration of assured establishment. Jesus established the church. He will build the church, and it will remain according to his power and his declaration. Somebody say amen to that. Now, there's one other thing I want you to see, and that's all in verse 19. So verse 19 has what sounds like some pretty amazing um, uh, declarations uh, made by Jesus when, when he says in verse 19, 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I think what he's declaring here, what I believe he's saying here, is that the church is the testimony of the gospel in the world. And to that end, I think there's two main ideas that I want you to get from verse 19. Number one, that is that the church declares the hope of the gospel. I think that's what he means by, he will give to you the keys to the kingdom. Verse 19 is not a promise of personal power or individual advancement. So he's not saying to Peter. He's not saying to uh, the disciples. He's not saying to some select group of ministers that, that you all have these, these special keys, these, these special ability to open up, to close, or whatever the kingdom of heaven. No, I think verse 19 is an ordination of the church to declare the good news of salvation to the world. Friends, the primary purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is hope in Jesus. That there is salvation in Jesus. That there is forgiveness in Jesus. That there is freedom in Jesus. That there is life in Jesus. Those are the keys to the kingdom of heaven that we are to proclaim to a broken and lost world. Access to the kingdom of God is only through the gospel of salvation. Access to the presence of God is only through the gospel of salvation. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And you and I, dear friends, as the church, have the great privilege and the task and the call and the command to declare that Jesus has provided a way to be right with the Father, forgiven of your sins, and have the hope of heaven eternal. Maybe you grew up in a church like this. There's a common phrase. I used to hear it a lot in, in, uh, in older churches. Don't hear it as much today. When the preacher would get finished preaching and the church would do invitation time, there used to be this phrase that was spoken, and they would say, now the doors of the church are open. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. On the most basic way, this was, an oppor- this was just sort of phraseology to invite people to, to join the church, the local congregation there. But I, but I think it has echoes of this idea of the church proclaims the gospel. By proclaiming the gospel, the keys of heaven are held to declare to lost, uh, lost sinners outside of the blessing and grace of God, here's how you can know Jesus be welcomed into the family of God and given access to the kingdom of God. The church, dear friends, the church declares the hope of the gospel. And number two, the church declares on earth what is already true in heaven. Now, this is what I think he's getting at when he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, if you were to, to give this to individuals to sort of as their personal whim, that could be pretty dangerous, couldn't it? I was telling the staff, I am so very thankful this isn't given to me when, when I do go to Walmart, because I'd be binding all kinds of things I ought not to be binding, right? Folks going too slow in the line, <laughs> all kinds of things that are just personal preferences of mine. That's not what this verse is talking about. No, what Jesus is saying is that the church will, is to declare on earth what is already true in heaven. The church is given the task to declare on earth what is already true in heaven. Binding and loosing refers to the two messages of the condemnation of sin and the hope of redemption. 
The church must be faithful to both condemn sin and proclaim the hope of redemption. Without the condemnation of sin, men will not know their need of salvation. They will be left to suffer in the chains of sin. They will be left to be destroyed by the destruction of sin. And without the proclamation of the hope of redemption, men will not know that life is found in Jesus alone. Dear friends, since Genesis 3 until Jesus comes back, this basic truth remains, that sin brings destruction, death, separation from God, and eternal condemnation. And the church must be faithful to declare that and proclaim that to the world. Sin is condemned, and there's a consequence of sin, and that is to be separated from God in hell for all of eternity. And yet we must also be faithful to declare that redemption begins. Redemption begins with Jesus. Redemption is found in Jesus. The redemption's hope is in the forgiveness that comes from Jesus, the restoration that comes from Jesus, the healing and life and right relationship with God and eternal life in heaven that comes only from Jesus. The church must not fail to preach against sin, but the church must also not fail to preach the open redemption through the blood of Jesus. That's what we're binding. That's what we're loosing. Friends, sin is already bound in heaven. It has no place there. And righteousness is already set loose in heaven. That's where it is at home. And that's what we're to declare today. The condemnation of sin and the hope of redemption. Just a few months ago, at the end of 2021, news broke you probably didn't see it because it's uh, kind of a very small group of people that were rather interested in it. But news broke about a church that archaeologists had uncovered in a, in a, in a community that they think may be the, the biblical town referenced as Bethsaida. Now, it's interesting that they, they, they're digging down. They, they uncovered some mosaics. And the reason why they're pretty sure it's, they think it's a church is because in the mosaics, there were some references. There was a reference to the, the church, its founding and its building of the building and, and, a, and a reference to a bishop that may have served there. And, and um, there's some real excitement around this find because they believe that this could be, they're not sure, may never be sure, that this could be the building that was built on top of or at the place of uh, Peter's home there in Bethsaida. They don't know that to be true. Could be Peter's home, could be Andrew's home, could be Philip's home. But we do know this, that what was there was a church and probably was active somewhere around 1,500 years ago. For years and years and years and years and years, generations now. The community that once thrived there has been lost. The buildings that once were prominent there have not only been reduced to ruins, but just time has covered over them with layers and layers of dirt. And even though archaeologists are excited to dig and, and discover and, and think about what this church may have been and who may have worshipped there, it's exciting to think about that. But the reality of it is that building no longer exists, that local congregation no longer exists, and it hasn't so long that, the, 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 that its place, that its existence has long been forgotten. 
I think that's a pretty helpful word for you and I today. There may come a day when this building no longer stands. There may come a day when this building no longer stands and time has marched on so long that there's not even any reference that it ever once was here. There may come a day when none of us are remembered, what we've done, what we did, or anything about our lives is remembered. There could come a day when Waycross no longer exists, when archaeologists of the future make some assumptions about we think there was a town here and we, we found some buildings here. Those days may come, but this is what we know, friends. If those days come, this building no longer stands, nobody remembers who we were, Waycross is even forgotten about. What will remain in that day will be what remains today as well. The church of Jesus, founded on the gospel of Jesus, gathered by Jesus, defined by Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus being the testimony of the, the gospel in this world, it will remain. None of us remember the people of this archaeological find, but we identify with them because we're still preaching the same message they preached. We're still gathered by the same Jesus that gathered them. We're still doing the same thing that they did, believing in Jesus and faithfully walking in obedience to his commands. There is a connection between us and them, even though we don't know who they are, don't remember who they are, and will not know them until Jesus comes back and gathers us into heaven. The church, dear friends, remains. The church is prospered and sustained by the, by the, by the power of the living Christ. We are defined by Jesus. We are gathered by Jesus. We are sustained by Jesus to do the work of Jesus in this world. Dear friends, we don't put our efforts, our resources, our worries in the things of this world. We put our resources, our efforts, and our passions in the things of eternity. That is to proclaim the hope of Jesus to this generation and the next generation and every generation to come. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.